Well, in many ways, I think the uh, stuff we'll look at in these next few minutes are the most important things that Margie and I have had to teach today. Uh, so it's kind of like the marriage in Canaan where the best wine was last. This is the best wine. Uh, we want to give our kids a vision for God's glory. And, it's, and if you get a hold of nothing else that we've talked about, you get a hold of this, you'll have things of incredible value for your kids and your grandkids. So let me just pray with you one more time and ask for God to be with us as we look at these things. Lord, uh, we come to you and we, we come recognizing that by this point in the conference, we, we've heard so much, we have ideas we're trying to hold in our minds. We are, are uh, kind of feel overloaded and we pray that you would give us grace uh, for another few minutes of teaching. I thank you, Lord, for these folks, for their love for you, for their love for your their children. Thank you, Lord, for their humility and their willingness to be taught and for the fact that they have, have uh, given up a very beautiful uh, spring day to be here to hear teaching from your word. And I pray, Father, that you would reward our expectant hearts with your spirit working in us, that you give us passion and joy for you. And we pray that we would bring this to our children and to our grandchildren and we ask, Lord, that uh, you would accomplish great things in our families. And so, Lord, we come to you asking for the grace of uh, stamina and strength, remembering the words of Isaiah 40, that as we wait on the Lord, we'll find renewed strength. And so we come to you asking for that for these next few minutes. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we want to talk about giving our kids a vision for God's glory in this period. It's really what Psalm 145 talks about. Psalm 145, we'll look at that psalm more in a minute, but in verse 4 says, one generation will commend your works to another. And that's really the calling that God has given us, to be one generation commending the works of God to the next generation, showing our children and our grandchildren the glories of God and the goodness of God and the wonder of God. But foundational for this teaching is really the reality that all of our children are worshipers. Our, our, our kids are made, you and I, we are human beings, are made in the image of God. I mean, let that soak in for a minute. We're made for God. We're made for glory. We're made for the endless wonders of seeing God, seeing God's glory, being filled and enthralled and delighted and enchanted and overwhelmed and, and, and uh, dazzled by the wonder of who God is. We're uniquely designed in that way because we're, we're made for God, we're made for glory. So there's no question about whether or not your children are going to worship. Our children, our grandchildren are going to worship. They can't help themselves because they're made for God, they're made for glory, they're made for worship. They're uniquely designed as worshiping beings. There's no question about whether or not they will worship. The only question is, what will they worship? Whom will they worship? What are they going to bow before? What are they going to serve? What are they, what, what are they going to give themselves to? And I, I've tried to capture that in this little diagram that either our children will see the wonder of who God is and all that he's revealed of himself in his word and in the beautiful creation around us and respond with praise and adoration and worship of him or they will bow before idols. They will do one or the other. They cannot help themselves. They're uniquely designed as worshiping beings. Your kids are spring-loaded for worship. They're hardwired for worship. They're going to worship. And so there's no question about what they will, whether or not they will worship. 
Now, now what happens when creatures who are uniquely designed for worship fail to worship the God for whom they are made? They don't cease being worshipers. They just end up worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator. And Paul talks about that in Romans 1. Remember how he talks about the fact that, that uh, God's eternal power and divine nature is clearly seen through what God has made so that people are without excuse. God is on display. He's on display in the creation that is coming to life around us in the spring. He's on display in the complexity and beauty and wonder of human beings made in his image, the animal creation, all the, everything that he has made, all the wonders that he has done are reflective of his glory and his wonder. So we are left without excuse. And what happens to human beings? If we fail to worship the God for whom we are made, we don't cease being worshipers. We just worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And that's what Paul talks about here in Romans 1. He says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged, that's the key word in this passage, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds and animals and reptiles. He says the same thing in verse 25. He says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. You see, the key word there, as I said, is exchange. If our kids don't see the glory of God, if they don't understand who the Lord is, then they don't cease being worshipers. They just find something in the created order to worship. And they worship and serve created things rather than the creator. But they cannot help worshiping because they're made for God. They're made for glory. They're made for wonder. They're made for the endless glories of God. They're made to be dazzled and delighted and thrilled and enthralled and fascinated and awestruck and mesmerized and, and they're made to gape and awe and wonder and delight because they're made in the image of God. You're raising worshipers at your house. They're spring-loaded for worship. They're going to worship. And one of the most important callings God has given us is to show the glories of God to our children. It's this worship orientation in human beings that I think uh, accounts for our fascination with televised sports. Isn't it amazing? No matter where you go in the world, you find four or five channels devoted to sports. Uh, I mean, how many ESPN channels are there? You can even get classic ESPN, so you can watch sporting events that happened 50 years ago before you were born. I mean, we love to be dazzled. We love to see these athletes do these incredible feats that we ordinary mortals can't do. That's uniquely human. Do you know there are no diving competitions for penguins in the Antarctic? They, they dive off for these massive ice flows. They form these nearly perfect dives. No one scores them, 9.6. <laughs> Technically good, lacks artistic value. See, human beings do that. A brown bear on the Columbia River in the great northwest grabs a salmon out of, the, out of the raging Columbia River. I mean, what an amazing feat of athleticism to grab a swimming fish out of a raging stream. You try that sometime. But, you know, there are no bears lining the shore applauding. 
I just love the way Big Brown does it. <laughs> no one's making color commentary. I think that's 27 clean grabs this season. I believe that's a record. <laughs> Little bears don't grow up with posters of Big Brown in their den. With a Nike Swiss shaved into his chest. You see, human beings do that sort of thing because human beings are instinctively and compulsively worshipers. And they're worshipers because they're made for God. They're made for glory. You're raising worshipers at your house. Your grandchildren that come to see you and visit with you are worshipers. They're made for the endless delights of knowing God. And one of the most important callings God has given us is to show children who are uniquely designed as worshipers the wonders of who God is. Psalm 145, I think, captures this so brilliantly. Uh, It's just, it it dazzles me. I want to look at this psalm uh, with you in just a moment. But before we get to it, I want to just remind us that when we say kids are worshiping idols, we're not talking about little statues. You might be thinking, Ted, I don't know who you're talking to. We have no statues in our house. But the idols are more subtle than that. The idols of the heart are things like uh, power and influence. Some kids have a lust to control the people in their world. Some of you have children in your home who tell you and coach you about how you ought to be raising the other kids in the home and what your failings are as a parent. (laughs) You know, we had a little girl in our Christian school. I mean, she she had a lust to control the people in in the classroom. She would choose the recess activity. She'd be the coach, the statistician, the scorekeeper. She would announce imperiously at the end of the day, tomorrow all the girls are wearing dresses. May the Lord helping a little girl that shows up with pants on the next day. You see, she had a lust to control the people in her world. But some of our kids, maybe those idols are things like pride and performance. And they love to perform. They they will work hard to develop performance skills because they want the accolades that come with excellent performance. Or with some of our kids, maybe those idols are things like pleasure and sensuality. They're always looking for a rush, something exciting, something tantalizing, something thrilling, something, something daring to do, and something that will uh, cause the adrenaline to flow and the heart to throb. If there's not something heart-throbbing and adrenaline-pumping to do, then they're bored and there's nothing to do. Or with some of our kids, maybe it's uh, possessions. They love stuff. They collect stuff. They save stuff. They are very careful with their stuff and protective of their stuff, and they want assurances when they leave the house that you won't let the other kids touch their stuff while they're gone. Uh, you know, or with some of our kids, maybe it's, uh, it's friendship, or the fear of man, or the flip side of that coin, the desire to be approved by others, or being cool. I mean, you could go on and on endlessly with the kinds of things people will worship and serve other than God when we make that great exchange and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. Psalm 145 calls us to this wonderful calling of showing the wonders of God to our children. It's really, uh, it's such an amazing passage. I don't know any other place in the Bible where in one passage it captures uh, this calling of being a parent who's showing the wonders of God to my children. So the psalm begins, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, the most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Oceans are measured in fathoms. 
You drop the line to reach the bottom of the ocean. You run out of line before you run out of ocean. His greatness no one can fathom. There's, and the next, the next verse is the parenting piece of this, the grandparenting piece of this. Uh, one generation will commend your works to another. It's what God's called us to do, to be one generation, commending the works of God to the next generation, showing our children the glories of God, the wonders of who God is, the marvels of God. And listen to the way the psalmist talks about this, because you might think, well, okay, I get it. I want to show my kids the glories of God. What do I talk to them about? How do I do this? This chapter gives you category after category in which you can carry on conversations with your children freely and naturally. Uh, when you're riding in the car, when you're just hanging out, when you're walking in a walk in the park, you can be talking to your children about the wonders of God. They will speak of your mighty acts. Now, if I had a whiteboard up here and a black marker, I said, now, just holler out mighty acts of God. I'll write them down as soon as you holler them out. We could fill that board in a matter of minutes with things under the category of mighty acts of God. Or there's another category here. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. There's another whole category, the regal glory, the splendor of this majestic being. They will meditate on your wonderful works. I will tell the power of your awesome works. Think of the power of God's works. We have a God who speaks words and galaxies come into existence. Solar systems are formed. Planetary bodies are, uh, are flung into space. They will celebrate your abundant goodness. Think of all the things that could be captured under the category of the goodness of God. Acts of creation, acts of providence, acts of kindness. They would joyfully speak of your righteousness. There's this rectitude to the character of God. Attributes of God are here. Uh, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. What an amazing God, that forbearance of God. He doesn't bring to us instantly what we deserve, but he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your saints will, ex <coughs> will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. Boy, this is stuff to talk to kids about. Kingdoms of this earth rise and fall. They, they rise to their zenith and they trail off into history and they're replaced by another kingdom that rises and has its ascendancy. Here's a kingdom that will endure throughout all generations, a kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom. <coughs> the Lord is faithful to all of his promises promise-keeping God. He's loving toward all he has made. He upholds all who fall. He lifts all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous, more attributes of God. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways, loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, 
who all, all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. That's parenting, brothers and sisters. It's the most important calling God has given us to show to our children and our grandchildren, to show the next generation the wonders of God, the endless delights of God, the glories of God, the qualities of God, the attributes of God, to delight them with these marvelous pictures of who God is. It's one of the most important callings God has given us. Now I want to take a fast survey of a number of, uh, of uh, Psalms with you, and we'll look at these real quickly. Uh, just to kind of overwhelm ourselves with these pictures of, of the satisfying nature of knowing God and the joys of knowing God, the delights of God that we want to delight our children with. Psalm 4. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. You have filled my heart with greater joy. I love the word picture in this psalm because the psalmist is writing in an agrarian age. No, it's a non-technical age. There are no hothouses that enable us to rush harvest or extend harvest. There's no science of food preservation, no canning, no freezing no doing whatever they do to microwavable food that makes it possible for us to zap it back to life and have it be tasty and nutritious. Uh, there's this brief window in each season when you have an abundant harvest and you may as well eat it because you have no capacity to preserve it in its freshness. You may as well devour it. You can't save it. Can you imagine the joy of harvest? That's the word picture here. You have filled my heart with greater joy. And what we want our children to see is the greatest joys that they can experience in this life are not the joys of going places, doing things, owning things, controlling people, uh, being loved. Uh, the greatest joys they can experience are the joys that have to do with knowing God. Children, you're made for God. The greatest joys in which, that you can ever experience are about knowing God. We want to continually be reminding them there's this God, he's glorious, he's marvelous beyond description. Life is found in knowing him. You must know the Lord, children, you must know the Lord. Psalm 16, Just I just want to look at one verse, verse 11. I wish I could look at the whole Psalm with you. He says, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. We saw that issue of joy in the presence of God in Psalm 4. But notice this next phrase, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There are eternal pleasures. There are pleasures that will continue throughout all time that are found at the right hand of God. Think of what heaven holds for us. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2. He says there'll be God's pleasure throughout the coming ages to show us the unsearchable riches of his grace given to us in Jesus Christ. Imagine because one day in glory, you and I, flawed people that we are, struggle so much with our sin and weakness in this world. But because we're redeemed through Jesus Christ and his blood, because he lived for us without sin and died as a sacrifice for our sins, one day we will be in heaven with him confirmed in righteousness. 
But even then, we will still be finite creatures. We'll be perfect, but finite. And he will be infinitely glorious. And throughout the coming ages, he will be unfolding to us more and more dimensions of the incredible glory of his infinitely glorious being. And we'll never get to the last episode. And there'll be no reruns. Fresh episodes daily. And we'll be dazzled and renewed and overwhelmed again and again and again with the wonders of who he is. There are eternal pleasures that are found at the right hand of God. Your kids long for pleasure. And we want to help them to see, children, the greatest pleasures you can know are those pleasures of knowing God and loving God and delighting in God. Psalm 27. Psalmist is facing difficulties. I, I love this psalm. I just tried to imagine it. I mean, the word pictures are so fresh here. It says, uh, when evil men advance against me to devour my flesh. I mean, that sounds serious to me. Doesn't that sound serious? If you came home and said, honey, evil men were advancing against me today to devour my flesh. Your wife would stop peeling the potatoes. She'd say, do tell, what happened? When my enemies and foes attack me, though an army besiege me, though war break out against me, one thing I ask of the Lord, and that's what I seek. Now think about that. I've enemies and foes coming against me to devour my flesh. War breaks out against me. An army is in pursuit of me. One request of God. What's that one request? It's not, Lord, beam me up. Get me out of the circumstance. It's, oh, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, because in the day of trouble, he will lift me up and he'll set me on a rock. You see, the greatest deliverance you can ever experience is not having the circumstances change and the winds blow your way. The greatest deliverance you can ever experience is to know God in the midst of the trial. How many times have you talked to a Christian who's been through some deep struggle, cancer, feared death. I was so sick with COVID in, in December, I actually contemplated the thoughts of death and will I survive this? And, and uh, you know, in the midst of those trials, there's a sense of the nearness of God. And you come out of that trial realizing God is with me, God has been with me and has been merciful. We have a friend who lost a son, 23-year-old son, he was taken in a motorcycle accident, godly young man, loved the Lord. And our friend came to me sometime after the accident. He said, you know, we've wept more than we ever imagined weeping, and we have sorrowed for the loss that we've taken. And then his, he, his face shone like he was Moses coming off the mountain. He said, oh, Ted, we have known the nearness of God in the midst of this trial. We've known dimensions of God's love and care for us as a family that we could have never experienced in any other way. That's, that's the kind of deliverance Psalm 27 is talking about. You see your kids sometimes longing for deliverance. We want to help them to see the deliverance that you seek is found in God. Psalm 36, some wonderful weird pictures here. I feel like I could never express them like I want to, uh, like I see them, but I'm going to try again. He says, your love reaches to the heavens. Now, there are heavens above us so we can have some way of understanding the greatness of God's love for us. Your faithfulness 
It reaches to the skies like the endless blue skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, these Himalayan snow-capped peaks of righteousness. Your justice is like the great deep, like the crevices in the ocean that go down 36,000 feet. Oh Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. Listen to this. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Oh, children, I can tell you where you can feast on abundance, where you can drink deeply of a river of, a river of delights. There are joys unspeakable and glorious that come in knowing God. And I want you to know this God. He's a wonderful God. He's a glorious God. He's marvelous behind describing. See, it's the authentic answer, and I hope you're connecting the dots with me here. Joy that is, is uh, unspeakable and glorious is found in knowing God. Eternal pleasures are found in knowing God. Deliverance in the midst of our deepest trials are found in knowing God. In God, there's a place of feasting and drinking deeply from a river of delights. Because as Augustine said in the fourth century, we will be ever restless until we find our rest in him. We're made for God. Your children are made for God. One of the most important things you can do is to bring the freshness and beauty and glory of God to your kid. It's the authentic answer to the deepest thirst of their souls. Psalm 63, the psalmist says it this way. He says, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. As a place to satisfy your children's thirst, this world is Saudi Arabia. It's a dry and weary land where there is no water. But I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. No wonder the psalmist says in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you ever hear of George Mueller? George Mueller is a 19th century figure in Bristol, England. He had orphanages, never spoke about his needs. He just prayed, and God supplied their needs day after day after day. Mueller's life verse was Psalm 81.10. Oh, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And Mueller literally did that. And God supplied great autobiography by George Mueller. Wonderful stuff to read to your kids. Read Christian, auto, Christian biographies to your kids. Give them these aspirational and inspirational people to think about and to, to model themselves after. The last verse of this psalm says, You would be fed with the finest of wheat, with honey from the rock would I satisfy you. You see, the heart of the gospel is the glory of God. You know, God is, God, I think so often Psalm, our, 
Isaiah 42 says, I am the Lord, that's my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Jesus in his prayer, in John 17, the high priestly prayer, he prays. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so they can see my glory. That glory I had with you before the world began. God is jealous for his own glory. God calls people to himself, Romans 9 says, because he wants to make his glory known throughout the earth. And the heart of the gospel is the glory of God. I was struck with that reading Psalm 96 one day, and I suppose I had read it hundreds of times, but it hit me one day. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Listen to these words. Here's the proclamation of salvation. Declare his glory among the nations. The proclamation of the glory of God is the proclamation of salvation. There's this glorious God. He's marvelous beyond describing. He's made terms of peace so that broken people like you and me who are flawed and failing can find reconciliation and peace with God and righteousness and be, be sanctified and made like Christ. He's, he's, he, is, he is zealous for his own glory. And one of the things we need to do is be bringing the glory of God to our children. Oh, children, you're made for this God. He's marvelous beyond describing. Remember that kingdom parable, Matthew 23, is it? I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the passage. Jesus talks about the kingdom, uh, 13, Matthew 13. He talks about the kingdom of heaven. He says, it's a one-verse parable. The kingdom of heaven is like this. This man's walking through a field. He finds a treasure in the field. And after he found the treasure, in his joy, he went out and he sold everything that he had so he could buy that field and possess that treasure. So it's a very simple parable. He, he finds this treasure, incredible wealth, and, and, and he looks around. He hopes no one else has seen the treasure. He buries it again, and in his joy, he went out and he put everything he owned on eBay. He sold it all. He, so that he could come back and buy that field and possess that treasure. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. You see, we want our children to see that God is the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. He is the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He is the one that is altogether lovely. He's the one we are made for. Life is found in knowing him. Because until your kids are persuaded, I must have God. At all costs, it doesn't matter what it costs, I will sell everything. But at all costs, I must have God. Until they have, are persuaded of that, they will never truly know him and love him and serve him. And our calling, we can't save our kids. As Margie said earlier, as we all would acknowledge, we're powerless to save our kids. <coughs> it's the work of God. It's the work of the Spirit of God. But one of the things that God has called us to do is to show our kids the worthiness of God. He is glorious. He is marvelous. He is excellent beyond compare. He is the treasure. Think about this man that finds a treasure in the field. What's his motivation for selling everything in order to have that treasure? Does he do it out of a sense of overwhelming duty? He's filled with joy. 
His heart's pounding. He can't believe his good fortune. He found a treasure. And in his joy, the passage says, in his joy, he went out and he sold everything that he had. He wasn't overwhelmed by a sense of duty. Wouldn't you know I'd have to find the treasure in the field. I hate it when this happens to me. Now I'm going to have to sell everything so I buy that stupid field and possess the treasure. I wish I would have walked home the other way. I mean, that's absurd, isn't it? He's full of joy. And he sells, he divests of everything. Because at all costs, I must have that field. Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And one of the callings God has given us as parents is to show his glories to our children so they will see that he is infinitely glorious and infinitely delightful and life is found in knowing him. I want to talk to you real quickly about why this is so important. Because, you know, you could ask yourself, you know, what's going to keep your kids from sin and wickedness in a culture where perversion has become mainstream entertainment? What's going to have enough mass What's going to have enough weight? If, you want, if we want our kids to sing on Sunday, we've got to give them a glorious God. If we want them to not sin on Monday and Tuesday and the other days of the week, we've got to give them a glorious God. If we want them to dream of more noble things than just getting a good education so they can get a good job and make a lot of money and fill their houses with plunder, we've got to give them a glorious God. <clears throat> and... and if we want them to have a reason to turn away when their friends are offering the pleasures of sin for a season, we've got to give them a glorious God. And we want to bring the wonders of God to our kids. Real quickly, why is this so important? What we do with God determines how we respond to life. Uh, (coughs) You see, we, we don't live out of the facts and circumstances of our existence. We interpret all the facts and circumstances of our existence. And the key to getting the interpretation right is understanding who the Lord is. It's the being and and wonder and glories of God. That's the only thing that will enable us to interpret life correctly. The second thing is that solid and lasting pleasures are found in knowing and loving God. It's really, as Augustine said, it's in his light that we see light. We're made for God. We'll be restless until we find our rest in him. I have an observation to make, though. I think many Christian parents, rather than helping their kids see the wonders of who God is, actually end up feeding the idols for their kids. We fill their lives with stuff. We take pleasure in their pleasure in the stuff we give them. We fill their lives with activities. So we're so busy as a family. This one's doing field hockey. This one's doing basketball. This one's doing baseball. This one's doing ballet. This one's doing piano. And we got our lives so busy, we don't have time to have family meals together. We don't have time for the quiet joys of playing a board game with our kids at night. We don't have time to read them stories or to have family worship because we've busied ourselves and we've turned our homes into locker rooms where we go to get showered and a little bit of rest so we can get up and go out and do it again. And I think, why are we doing this? I was in a church, it was on the Lord's Day. We do believe in the Ten Commandments, right? Or do we believe in the Nine Commandments? It was the Lord's Day. Uh, And this pastor had prepared to preach and I was visiting the church. I wasn't a uh, speaker in the church that day. And uh, as uh, I noticed this little guy come in, 
eight, ten years old, he's wearing a baseball uniform. What a strange thing to wear at church. Why would he wear a baseball uniform at church? Oh, I know. He just got his uniform and wants to show it off to his friends. But I caught on later because at about a quarter of twelve, this family got up and they slipped out of the church. You know what's going on here. There's a baseball game. It starts at noon. If you're late, the coach won't let you play. Now, this pastor is preaching his heart out. He's prepared this sermon. He's prayed for his people by name this week and, and is pouring out his heart on, from God's word on God's holy day to God's people. And just as he gets to the zenith of his sermon, this family gets up and they slip out of church because they have another worship service to go to. And you can't be late for that one. Now, if this little guy ever concludes the life that is truly life, is found in knowing God, it will be in spite of, not because of, the example of his parents. Don't polish the idols for your kids. Help them to see the worthiness of God and the glory of God. And of course, if we're going to do that, if we're going to help our children be dazzled by God, we've got to be dazzled by God ourselves, because you can't give away what you don't possess. I like the way that Jonathan Edwards put this. I was reading one of his sermons. I think it was about heaven, a place of love. But he has this line in the sermon. He said, uh, there's a difference between believing that God is holy and gracious and having a new sense on your heart of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. It's as different, Edwards says, as having the rational belief that honey is sweet and having the taste of its sweetness in your mouth. You see, if you're going to help your kids see God is glorious, you've got to have the taste of it in your mouth. It's got to be the most natural expression of the abundance of your heart as you interact with your kids. I want to encourage you with this, too, with the fact that our kids can get it. We live in a very... Uh, pretty part of Pennsylvania. It's not nearly as pretty as the Cape, of course, but it's pretty for Pennsylvania. But below our home, there's a series of seven waterfalls and places where you can swim and dive off these rocks and these beautiful mountain pools, and you can climb under the falls and have them come out over you, and it's a wonderful place to swim and hike. Our kids grew up in this ravine, swimming and hiking, uh, and uh, one day when our youngest son was a senior in high school, he was down at the falls for a swim and he, he picked a bouquet of wildflowers that were growing along the path as he came back up to the house and put them in a jar, left them on the kitchen table. We came home from work that afternoon and here was this jar of flowers in a, on the kitchen table and beside it was this note that said, well, they look better in real life. I think I'm not very good at arranging flowers. They reminded me of the end of Psalm 67 when I saw them. Earth has yielded up its plenteous harvest. God, our own God, will bless us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear and bless his holy name. Someday I will actually understand the whole concept of that. I suppose the psalmist did. I'm afraid my understanding of reality is terribly limited. No wonder Moses' face glowed after he was on the mountain. The best I can do sounds so much like just words that I'm shocked at my dullness. Oh well, so much for man's greatness. If I could comprehend the essence of God, then I would just have an inferior God or superior human. Praise God, I can't. I share that to say our kids can get it. We need to hold out for them 
the glory of God. Did you ever think about this? Christian life begins with glory. There's that passage in 2 Corinthians 4. Remember the passage that says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the glory of God. But what happens in new birth? The one who said, let there be light. The God who shined light into the unformed creation at the very beginning, the one who said, let there be light, has shined his light into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's conversion. That's new birth. That's moving from death to life. That's, that's the miracle of grace forming within us and transforming us. We, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and we want him. We surrender to him. We lay down our life for him. We, we, we cry out that he would take us into his life and come into our lives. That's new birth. So Christian life begins with seeing the glory of God, and Christian growth progresses as we see God's glory. Uh, it's there in uh, that same glory section of 1 Corinthians uh, 3 and 4. It says, uh, in verse 3.18, it says, As we behold the glory of God, as we behold God, we are transformed into his likeness from glory to glory. So Christian growth comes, I mean, we become Christians as we see the glory of God, and Christian growth progresses as we see the glory of God. Now, in light of that, one of the best things we could do for our children and grandchildren would be to get ourselves before God so we are freshly entranced and dazzled with the wonder of who God is. So it's the most natural thing for us to bring God to our grandchildren. So we're like giant sponges, so full of God that when they bump up against us, they get some on them. So we want to bring that glory to our kids. Now, as I talk to you about this, there are two things going on inside you. Every true Christian in this room says, that's what I want. I want for our family to be a family where we talk freely and naturally about God, where God is on our lips and where God is glorified in our home and we delight in him and we're dazzled by him. We, I want that. That's the kind of family I want to be. Every Christian in this room says yes to that. But as I talk about it, there's something else going on too, isn't there? I mean, I even have it going on in me as I talk to you. There's that sense of loss, that sense of, I, I understand this better than I do it. I, I conceptualize it better than I do it. I fail to be dazzled by him as I ought to be. And you're thinking, I've missed so many opportunities. There's so many times, sometimes days pass at our house where we don't talk about God. And so you have this tension between, on the one hand, you say, yes, that's what I want. On the other hand, you say, I'm not very good at this. What are you going to do to resolve that tension? You can't resolve it by beating yourself up over your failures to delight in God as you ought to. Because that doesn't move you to God. It actually moves you away from God because it simply reinforces pride and self-righteousness. What we've got to do is we've got to go to God and say, God, I love you, I want you, and I want to delight myself in you, I want to know you and love you, and I want to help my children and grandchildren see you and see your glory. But I'm weak and I have to lay at your feet all the things that get in the way and encumber me and keep me from pursuing you as I want. But I want you. I want you because you have worked a grace in my heart that makes me want you. And I pray 
that that grace would work and abound in me so that I would naturally talk to my kids about God. Don't beat yourself up over your failures to show your kids God's glory. Go to him for the grace to do it. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you with hearts of thankfulness because our hearts say yes and amen to these truths from your word. And we know even that is a grace from God. And we pray that you'd help us to delight ourselves in you and to find you to be our all in all. And we pray this for his glory, for the good of our children, and for our endless joy in your presence. Amen.